You are listening to the second in a series of special Star Trek retrospective podcasts right here on the HHWLOD network. Tonight we'll be discussing all of the original series movies from Star Trek The Motion Picture right through Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. I am your host, Craig DeMonda, and join with me this evening is a veritable powerhouse of podcasting talent. I am joined by Mr. Richard Chubtoad Sheldon. Welcome aboard, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm let's also, talk some Trek. Let's talk some Trek. We're I'm, also I'm having I'm having some deja vu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also joined by Mr. Daryl Taylor from the Taylor Network of Podcasts. How are you this evening, Daryl? I'm good. The transporter is acting up because I feel like I beamed in already. <laughs> the transporter usually malfunctions. You got to expect that in Star Always. Trek world, right? And I'm also joined by Mr. Russell Latham. Welcome aboard, Russell. That's why you always use the shuttle. <laughs> Never See, use a transporter. If you use the shuttle, you don't have transporter accidents, right? But then the shuttles break down sometimes, right? That can happen. That's true. <laughs> so thanks for joining us tonight, folks. This is going to be a great journey. We're going to be talking about, as I said, all the movies from the original series era, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to explore them and uh, play some fun clips and just kind of relive some great moments that these movies have brought us throughout the years. And, um, you know, we all have a lot of opinions about these movies, that's for sure. So it's let's just jump right into it. The first movie, of course, was Star Trek The Motion Picture, and it was released really 10 years after the original series ended. It was released uh, December 7th, 1979, and interesting history with this. A day that will live in infamy. It will, absolutely. It's really just 10 years almost to the day that it ended, the uh, the original series ended, and... Um, it, this was originally supposed to be another television series that Star Trek was producing called Star Trek Phase 2. I'm sorry, that Paramount was producing. And it ended up, because of the successes of Close Encounters of the Third Kind and a little movie you may have heard of called Star Wars that happened in 1977, they decided to make it a feature film, the Star Trek reboot, and call it Star Trek The Motion Picture. Gave it a huge budget. Brought in a great director. It was directed by Robert Wise, or so they thought was going to be a great director. Screenplay by Harold Livingston, and the music was done by Jerry Goldsmith. So this movie, just so we know, was the most expensive Star Trek film, I think, almost up until the J.J. films, honestly. It had a $46 million budget, which is huge compared to, and you'll see the other ones in a minute. It, but however, it netted $139 million, which was also huge. So it definitely brought some money in, even though it cost a lot of money. Um, big production. Let's just jump right into it. Chubb, what were your thoughts on Star Trek The Motion Picture? Well, you know, we we were going to talk about when we first saw it and everything. And I, I actually did not see this when it came out. Um, those that have heard me on other podcasts, probably know that i grew up in kind of a sheltered home you know we didn't really go to the movies i wasn't really allowed to watch a lot of tv stuff like that i think it's what influenced me and scarred me to where i do nothing but watch tv and movies nowadays but um my dad was a huge fan of the original series and i remember him talking about it with my uncles and he i you know he'd have a rerun he would watch but i wasn't really allowed to watch it with him but Star Trek The Motion Picture, leading up to it coming out, it was w one of, if not the first, um, licensed property uh, that McDonald's used in Happy Meals. 
I think it was one of the first, but if not, it was right around then because that's when uh, Happy Meals had been introduced just earlier than that. But the thing is, I got one of those Happy Meals and it had, and I still have it, it had the Spock ring in there and everything. And I, I was looking at this Happy Meal box and it had all those bright colors like that are on the uh, one sheet for the movie. Um, and I just remember, and I started talking to my dad about it and stuff, and it got to where I would get to watch reruns that would come on and he would show them to me, but I did not get to see the motion picture. I did not get to see it until it was out on cable and I got to go to a friend's house and watch it, which is how I saw most movies back then. So, but the movie was really, cause I, like I said, I really hadn't had much Star Trek before that, and so the the taste that I got were those few episodes that I got to watch with my dad, and this was so, so different than those episodes. I mean, this was definitely, I didn't know it at the time, but all I needed to do was drop a little acid, and this movie would have been great. <laughs> or, or an ambient. I mean, either way. It'd be... <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, I love the score of this film. There were a lot of things I liked about it. A lot of people bag on those uniforms. I kind of dug those uniforms. I thought I, they I liked were them. Cool. Um, you know, I I liked like the whole concept with uh, Decker and. You know, the whole V'ger thing, looking back now, it's really kind of cheesy, but at the same time, it was cool then, so... Yeah. But but overall, this is not really... I mean, I acknowledge it, there are things about it I enjoyed, but as far as this film goes, it's not one that's in my repertoire of, you know, easily reached for quotes and things like that, because I just don't tend to watch it much when I get on my Star Trek movie-thon kicks. I usually start with Rathacon. So. Well, that's definitely a good one to start with, absolutely. I mean, I, this movie, as I've said it before, has grown on me a lot, and I'll get into that in just a second. Uh, Daryl, any thoughts on the motion picture? Uh, well, I, I came into it, I mean, of course, watching it, uh, the original series on TV, so when I heard they were going to do a movie, I was excited and I was totally on board. Like I even had the, they had the little Star Trek little cutout things you can cut out and 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 make your own little cardboard um, yeah. ships and stuff. I think it even had a Happy Meal or something. I think that's what it was. It was a mobile. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and so I was I had the little magazine. I had I had all of that ready because you could buy that in the movie theater. As you go see the the movie with, and me and my mom, we went and, and saw it. And I was I was so excited. I mean, and I know it's slow. It is slow, and it's really it's basically a TV episode. Like it's yeah. let's catch up with the group, and that's basically what they did. It's just that they made a bigger setting. But I remember the thing the the thing that really got me excited was that when you saw those the new Klingon ships. And like everything was like that. You got yeah. to see yeah. the new Klingon yeah. ships that got me excited. To see the new uniforms got me excited. To see yes. how they changed the Klingons from, you know, black makeup to actual forehead ridges. Aesthetics and, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And and to have the language that they had, like that yep. was new. We don't um, talk about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, and you got to see the Klingons first. I mean, that was yep. like 
the the first thing you got the, to see. It was Mark Leonard who played the captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarek. Uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. And so, oh, it was so exciting. And then to see uh, Kirk, and basically it was it was the story. It had so many different episodes in it because it was basically Kirk basically saying, "I want the ship back," and and manipulating the whole. A scenario using this scenario to get it back. Yeah, he gave Admiral Nagora, whoever that is, a piece of his mind and got yeah. the Enterprise back. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and and Decker and the whole thing with Decker and him being the son of the the other former captain that was crazy. That's a that's a lot died. more tiebacks than I'd expect, honestly. I mean, you think a yeah. motion picture would just be totally set aside and just be in its own little world, but they had quite a few tiebacks to the original series, which was nice to see. Yeah, it was. I mean, that. I mean, all of that little stuff was then adding the Delta into it, and like, wait, what? What is this group that has to be celibate? Like, what? And just uh, the whole thing with Scotty not wanting to come back, and and I mean, not Scotty, uh, Bones uh, not wanting Bones. to come back. Yeah, and he had to <laughs> draft him, and he came back angry. <laughs> That's great. And the crazy thing with the, I think remember it. I remember as a kid. How crazy that sound that they made on when the transporter malfunctioned. Oh, that was nuts. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The person dying inside. I, the, yeah, that was pretty creepy. You're right. I never yeah. got over that sound. Like, it's so, it's such a distinct sound that they used to show the death. Wasn't that computer voice creepy throughout the whole movie, too? That male yes. computer voice? It's yes, a, it was. <laughs> it was just a creepy voice. It was cool, though. It was, it was creepy and cool, but Let I. Me- Loved it. Let me before Russ goes and I go. Let me just get us all in the mood for. I have a little clip here from Star Trek One. It'll kind of sum it up. Intruder scans emanating from the exact center of the cloud. Energy of a type never before encountered. There's no response to friendship messages, sir. Shall I go to battle station, sir? Negative. We'll take no provocative action. Recommend defensive posture, Captain. Screens and shields. No, Mr. Decker, that could also be misinterpreted as hostile. Cloud composition, Mr. Spock. Twelfth power energy field. Twelfth power? Captain, we've seen what their weapons can do. Shouldn't we take every possible precaution? Mr. Decker. Captain, I suspect there's an object at the heart of that cloud. You are the third unit. You will assist me. I've been programmed by Beecher to observe and record normal functions of the carbon-based units infesting USS Enterprise. Who is Beecher? Beecher is that which programmed me. Is Beecher the name of the captain of the alien vessel? Jim, this is a mechanism. A probe, Captain. Where is Lieutenant Ilea? That unit no longer functions. I've been given its form to more readily communicate with the carbon-based units infesting Enterprise. Carbon-based units? Humans, Ensign Perez. Us. Why does V'ger travel to the third planet of the solar system directly ahead? To find the creator. So some pretty cerebral stuff here. I mean, mm-hmm. it... That pretty much puts you in the mood for the whole movie. It's it's a long episode. <laughs> it is. It, it's it's it is such an, a regular episode of the show, and not one of the the action packed episodes, but one of the you know ex- episodes built based on an idea. Yeah, exactly. And 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 people, the critics say that this didn't have a central villain. I mean, though, Vijay was a villain. He just 
he wasn't personified. He was just this cloud right. for the most part until the end. Yeah, uh, and he wasn't even really he wasn't evil. He just was a, a entity that just didn't understand. He had, he had surpassed us. I mean, well, it was just... yeah. It, it, and it's not it you know and even in in the five-year mission and everything else in in all the exploration that we see in the star trek universe before then and after and going forward is exploration you know so mm-hmm. they're not always going to have hostile encounters and things like right. that so it it was perfectly fine. It just it got a little bit trippy and a little bit heady for like you know people our age at that time. You know. Well, it kind of goes to the problem I think Trek still has. Like, dude, it's un- unlike Star Wars, for example. You know, like Star Wars sci-fi fantasy. You know, so action is always the you know the important thing to do with Star Star Wars. You know, there's always something going on. They're you know they're battling. They have evil. Right. You know, they, they, their villains are pretty much, uh, you know, pointed out. You know what the deal is. You know what the motivations are. But well, with, and it's Star Wars. Right. Star with Star Trek, there's <laughs> always that. There's always that, that uh, divide between fans of people who want more science, but then at the same time, how can you do that in a movie? That doesn't really attract a lot of people that want to watch it. You know, this this got a lot of viewers because it was Star Trek coming back. But now that science-y thing is kind of cool. Like, you see Gravity, like, or um, mm-hmm. even, I guess, to a certain extent, Inter- Interstellar. Like, yeah. they're, they're very science-y. There's a lot of, you know, that's... it's Maybe this movie was ahead of its time, dare I say. Ru- Russ, what were your thoughts on the motion picture? So I didn't see this in the theater when it came out also. You know, I, I saw this, man... I think I saw this probably after, like Star Trek three, like between Star Trek three and four. Um, wow. I definitely saw it on VHS. Uh, I remember at the time being aware of it and being interested in it, but uh, if it at that time, like if it wasn't Star Wars, like it wasn't. I mean, I watched Star Trek on TV, but from a movie perspective, like if it wasn't Star Wars, it was kind of off my radar, um, and. I remember getting the Happy Meals. I remember my mom sent away for like the thing Daryl was talking about. It was it was a a Star Trek the Motion Picture picture mobile, mm-hmm. and so you had to save up wrap, candy bar wrappers and send a buck in, and they would send you the sheets of cardboard, and you would fold these things together and hang it up like a mobile um, in your in your room. So I had that, but the, the I think the reason I didn't really push my parents to go see the movie was. A bunch of my friends had seen it and they were all like and they all said it was it was boring. Like they were bored to tears watching the movie. <laughs> and now granted, this is nineteen seventy nine, <laughs> so I'm seven years old. Um and so if all my friends are are saying, you know, that the you know, and this is after, you know, Star Wars and, you know, some of these other, you know, action movies that we're watching, that it was boring. So I just it I just didn't get around around to see it. Um at all. And then and then I caught it on VHS. Uh and I think it was probably better because I was older uh and I think I appreciated it. And I I a couple of years ago I had I had to have um uh I had I had surgery on my shoulder and so I was kind of laid up for a couple of weeks. And so I I did all these binge watch marathons. Uh you know, and I bought all the Blu-rays for all the Star Trek movies and I started with one and worked its way through. Um, and I, I really, 
I, I think it, it gets a bad rap for two things in particular. One is that really long scene when Kirk comes back to the Enterprise and they <laughs> yeah. in the shuttle. Yeah. It's like 10 minutes. Of and they film. really oh, yeah. could have cut that down. Yeah. It is and long. Then, and then when they go into the V'ger thing, like into the into the cloud and then they go into the superstructure and it's like this it, – it's almost like 2001, A Space Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. I mean it just keeps going and going. So the cool thing is – with the magic of back in the day VHS and now with you know with DVDs Blu-rays, you could just speed on through that. Um, right. I mean, the cool part is the score is especially with the with the um, with the 360 around the Enterprise. Yeah. The, the score is so good. Oh yeah. But it's just so monotonous. Like like somebody, and I don't know if this was wise or what, but somebody, if this movie could have been edited more tightly. I think it would have been way more, way better received um, than it was. And what's what's funny well, is that there's a director's I, cut, and then there's like a a cut they've only done for VHS where they um, they be, because some of the added stuff wasn't ready for widescreen, so they had to actually kind of redo it when they put it on VHS. Um, but again, it's kind of the the effect they they haven't put that on Blu-ray uh, yet because I guess the effects were done in video, so. Um, you know, they'd have to go through and recreate everything for, for Blu-ray, but, um, but I, you know, just conceptually it, it, uh, it was cool. The other thing too, is it, it didn't really have the impact on me either because I was just kind of getting into Star Trek on TV around this time, like 1978, 1979. So for me, like the fact that these people were coming back after 10 years to do this was lost on me because mm-hmm. for me, it was all new. Um, so it, it didn't kind of have, you know, like if, if I'm sure if there were kids older than me or even, you know, if, you know, like my parents age at that time and it would have been a, a bigger deal because it had been gone for, for 10 years. Uh, so that kind of played into it as well. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I think if you haven't seen it in a very long time, I, I recommend you go back and watch it because I think, um, I think, as as a as an adult now, I think you'll appreciate it more of what it was trying to do and just kind of some of the high concept that they they brought in. So, yeah, and, and you made a comment interesting. You said if Ray Wise, I'm sorry, uh, Robert Wise had more time to edit this, and maybe Ray Wise should edit it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's it seems more than that though. It looks like they weren't having a good time on this set. Like you could tell they, they, they were just stiff. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they weren't smiling. They, they were just really tight. And it, it just, um, I don't know. I think that, that also played into it. And you know, just the, the, just the fact that it went from being a TV show to a movie yeah. and they, they reused a bunch of sets. They, they cobbled together scripts. You know, they were changing things on the fly. There was, you know, it, it was just kind of an odd. Yeah. And you know, Gene situation. Roddenberry was doing a lot of that, unfortunately. That people have said, mm-hmm. I guess, after his passing and even way after that, they're finally admitting that, look, you know, he was changing things the day of shooting or the day yeah. right before. And yeah. yet, that never bodes well for a film. When you start making last-minute well, script changes yeah. like that, it's not a good idea. Well, and it said that it was the same with him in the first season of uh, Next Generation. You know, he yeah. was very it's, much that way. Yeah, It's so funny how the how this episode came up. I mean this uh, movie came about and the and the thing that problems that they had with this film and how Star Trek Generations the problems they had with that film too. Like they had a lot of similar problems. Hmm. So the trying so to, giving birth to to a film series is tough. Huh? It takes some, Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
The, the other issue I had with this is, um, and, and you know, Daryl, you said this, and a few of you did. It reminded me of a long episode, and and the hearkening back to the Changeling episode from the original series. Yeah, it's just so many parallels. Like it's really almost the same story. Yeah, yeah. I think yep. it, I think in the original script, and maybe I'm making this up, but I thought in the what this the heart of this movie was was they were going to revisit the Changeling, and it morphed in it it morphed into what V'ger was like if this was if they if they went on with the tv show that the the heart of this episode wouldn't have been voyager 9 or voyager 7 or whatever it was mm-hmm. as at the at the heart of it that it was going to be uh that that probe from the changeling that was going to be um nomad yeah nomad yeah, yeah. That, that they were going to tie that into that somehow. It, it's just, I don't know, it, it just seemed so much of a callback to, mm-hmm. to that original, sh- that, that thing. And I, I didn't realize it until the, the very end, obviously, because you don't know what V'ger is right up until, I guess, the climax of the movie, if you want to call it that, at the very end. But then once that resolves, like, well, I've seen this before. I mean, Kirk, the creator, all that stuff. It's just like it's, it's kind of been there, done that. But, I mean, um, it was very cerebral. My recollections, I wasn't born, quite frankly, when this movie came out. I was born in 1981, so my first uh, experience with the motion picture was on VHS. And really it was because I was getting so into The Next Generation in 87, 88. I was a kid, and I was just getting so into that show. It was a perfect time for me. So off to the video store I went, and anything Star Trek I can get my hands on. And by that time, by 87, there was about, I guess, three of them or four of them out by then. Excuse me. And the fifth one came out in 89, so uh, I had some good material. This one, though, unfortunately, was just rough. This was this was hard to digest being an eight-year-old kid watching this. It was just very cerebral. So we are now joined by Mr. Jim Dietz. He couldn't sit out while we are talking Star Trek. He had to get on. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Well, you know my love of Persis Kambata is legendary. So <laughs> it's known far and wide. It's, it's, it's well well documented on Wikipedia. Absolutely. Uh, I, um, the you said you're talking about Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yes, we're just wrapping up Star Trek the Motion Picture. That's correct. If you want to throw your two cents in, please be my guest. So much beige. I remember getting the action figures for Christmas or, or, or maybe Easter that year, and uh, like all the action figures were beige. Middle-aged white guys. <laughs> Very much. It was so it was 70s Kirk, tones, huh? Spock, yeah. It was you know, it was Scotty, and they're all in the, those beige uh, um, uniforms. Uh, uniforms. Oh my god! And then um, I remember uh, this is also one of the the ones uh, I remember reading the comic uh, adaptation of before the movie came out. Um, I remember. Uh, what was that like? I mean, did it come out before the movie? Because I don't remember that. I mean, I wasn't obviously around back then. So, the, what, the what fir- happened? The first issue of the comic, it was like a, a magazine size, like they would do super specials. Um, it was an adaptation of the comic. I think DC had the license at that point. Okay, yeah, I'm so. mistaken. Uh, but they, uh, you know, they did like an adaptation of the movie in comic book form. Um, they had like a magazine size version. I got a hold of that before the movie came out. Um, the best thing I've ever ever read about this movie, though, it was in the original Star Log, and if you Google it, you can find it. Uh, Harlan Ellison wrote like um, like the scathing review of the movie after it came out. Um, now, you, you remember know, why, right? Oh, I know. I I was about to say not because you'd have any sour grapes or anything, <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> but I remember reading that as a kid, like before I saw the movie, I was like, "Damn, maybe I don't want to see this movie after all." Because it was, it was, I mean, incredibly well written, but like really, like excoriated the movie. 
Hey, hey, Jim, just looking it up, it looks like the comic was was done by Marvel. Oh, okay. And you want to guess who the writer and artist was? Hmm. Maybe the artist be Al Williamson? No. 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 Star Wars. Romita. No. Hit me. Nope. Romeo Tango. Mm, close. Oh, Dicko. Oh, jo- oh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Nope. Uh, I'm close with Romeo Tango. Steve Vital. I was I was joking when I said that. By the way. Oh, I don't know. Uh, it was written by Marv Wolfman. Oh, and, oh really? And for drawn Marvel? by and drawn by Dave Cockrum. From but, but what? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Wow, I don't remember that being. I want to find a copy now. And Wolfman right in front. Well, yeah, I guess he he wrote Tomb of Dracula for a long time, but yeah. Wow, (laughs) forgot about that. It's always eBay, guys. I'm sure you can find one. (laughs) Oh, at the cons, I think that's where I saw it. Something about that. I've I've seen those at cons many times, like for twenty bucks, you know. Right. I remember, I mean, the Star Trek license, like, as far as comics, was it with Gold Key, you know, and then it was yeah. Marvel and DC. I have a bunch of those Gold Key comics. Yeah, and IDW has it now, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. in so many different hands. It's kind of IDW is doing the such DC beautiful run post, work with it now. Post Wrath of Khan was really good. That must have been what I was thinking of. Yeah, that was, those DC it was comics. really good. Yeah. Well, since you guys were talking about cons. Beecher. Well, um, our next movie has Khan in the title. Uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, followed Star Trek The Motion Picture. This one came out in 1982. June 4th, 1982 was released. And it was directed by Nicholas Meyer. Screenplay by Jack Sowards and also Nicholas Meyer, uncredited, but he did help with the screenplay as well. And the music changed uh, to James Horner. So, guys, uh, big change, obviously, from the motion picture. It took a few years to retool. They got Roddenberry pretty much out of the picture as far as um, him <laughs> having any control over it or any type of uh, writing uh, oversight. They really kind of put it in the hands of a different uh, producer. Harv Bennett took it over at this point and really took it right through uh, to the very end, I suppose, until the um, Generations movie started. So this one actually cost a lot less than the other in the first movie the first movie cost over 40 million this one only cost 11.2 million so it was 30 million dollars less and the box office though was less unfortunately because it was a much better movie but you think it would get better ratings but 97 million dollars was the box office but i guess one of those movies that had a much longer life on vhs yeah Yeah. Yeah. i think yeah it had the unfortunate i think because of the motion picture being kind of critically not Mm. well received i think it just kind of poisoned um, Wrath of Khan, but well, I, mean, and I think I think by the far motion the picture, best of the six movies. Oh, sure, best of all of them in my book. But uh, I, I I think motion picture was kind of like a situation like uh, Superman Returns, right, where they just saddled that movie with all of that budget nonsense from yeah. everything that came before it. So yep. you know they tried to launch the TV show, so they had all these sets and scripts and mm. paid people. And I think that all just got dumped into the budget of that movie. Just and to, contracts, man. They had so many right, contracts of people right. that were supposed to be on the show, and then they weren't yep. going to be on the show anymore. Yeah, like that Vulcan was supposed to be called uh, Vox or something like that, and then he ended up being yeah. one of the, the guy on the station that got blown up on the motion picture. Yeah, yeah um, I, I remember the novelization of the motion picture had a lot more story in it than the movie did. It made a lot more sense after I read the book. But, I mean, think about 1982, okay? That summer was the summer of E.T., 
it was the summer of the thing mm. carpenter's the thing which was like the big horror movie that year mm. i mean blade runner that year tron poltergeist oh, wow. yeah, conan true. the barbarian oh, first yeah. blood rocky e. three wow. the movies a lot i mean so yeah, yeah. so i mean <laughs> i was living at the movies at that point as a, teen, as a young teen but like I mean, Wrath of Khan, we, I mean, now it's regarded as, like, the best of the Star Trek movies, but that was a very crowded year for, for really great movies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. So, guys, I mean, you just your thoughts, right, obviously. I'm, I'm sorry to jump in here. Everybody, right off the top of your head, best quote from this movie, your favorite quote from this movie. Craig, you start. Best quote from this movie? Uh, from Hell's Hearth, I spit at thee. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of mine. Next. That's a good one. Yeah, tasks all... me. <laughs> I just love that. I love that one too. I'm gonna play a clip in a minute, so I'm glad you asked the question now before I played it. Go ahead. Uh, of all the souls I've encountered in my journeys, his was the most. Oh, you thieves! You've all taken ones. <laughs> it's like it went down the line. What's left, Daryl? I don't think there's anything left. In. My, my favorite is this. Is Seti Alpha Five, <laughs> <laughs> or except the one where he said, "Hey, Khan, you keep missing the target." target. Oh yeah, that, that little inflection was something I remember. Too. If we do it, ship by, if we do it by out the of book, danger, then you would buy the book. The many uh, the, hours could it save it my days. The few. You know which? You know which? <laughs> which quote I love, and it's it's kind of Kirk is Kirk. Um, Thrown out a dick move is when is when um is when uh Kirstie Alley gets on the the they get on the Elevator. the turbo lift uh-huh. and she's and she's like uh she, she, may I ask a question and he goes you can ask exactly I just I always love that line like th- to me that just always kills me like I I I st- like after that I would I would I would. I, I use that all the time. Like when somebody asks me a question, I want to be a, be a jackass. I'm just like, you can ask. <laughs> she, she was still in the doghouse for not passing the Kobayashi Maru. That's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a little interested though because she had a hair down in that scene. Oh yeah, she, so she played a terrible Vulcan. I mean, she oh. was terrible, but she was, I liked I liked her, but she was just she but showed she was emotion. Supposed to be, I liked was... her better than her replacement in three. Oh, did you? Okay, Agreed. she was supposed to be half Romulan. You can see Kirk really? going through the checklist in his mind, yeah. though. He's like, let's see, Orion Slave Girl, yeah. Uh, Romulan, yeah. Uh, Vulcan, if I, if I hit it with a Vulcan yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, <laughs> never mind that. There was... In mind? Yeah, they were going to make her half, she was going to have this backstory of being half Romulan, half Vulcan, and then there's a story with, with Spock kind of being a mentor, and then he was supposed to, you know, wind up yeah, having a relationship like a, with her. Yeah, there's like a scene in the movie that's like that. You know where they're where, where they're talking. So let's just get into it, guys. Let's put you in this in the Star Trek Two mood. Here's a little montage I've put together. Is it possible that comm systems fail? It would explain a great many things. They're requesting communication, sir. Let them meet static. Oh, still running with shields <laughs> down. Of course, we are one big happy, happy fleet. Dad. Ah, Kirk, my old friend. Do you know the Klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish that is best served cold? It is very cold in space. Oh, 
Guts and bloodsucker. You're gonna have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you? Kirk, you're still alive, my old friend. Still. Old, old friend. friend. <laughs> you managed to kill just about everyone else, but like a poor marksman, you keep missing, missing the target. target. <laughs> yes! Uh, you've got Genesis. But you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. You're going to have to come down here. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. Oh. <laughs> I shall leave you as you left me. As you left her. Marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. <laughs> so I'll just pause it right here for a second. That, that's it, guy. It doesn't get much better than that for the Star no. Trek movies. We, we can end uh, the podcast right now and say, "Okay, guys, oh, that's it. You, you're done. Yeah. Go see Star Trek two, and you'll be satisfied for a long time." Oh, come on! You got to see there will be whales aboard, Captain. All right, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> all right, all right, come on, you got to there. I did. I still love the part. Like I didn't get it when I was younger, but it, as I watched it again every year after, you know, when it came out on VHS. The, the conversation Kirk and, and McCoy had about his birthday. Oh, oh man. Yeah, in the beginning. Oh, yeah. 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 And, yeah, watch just... watch that now as a middle-aged old man. Oh, boy. Bones, I don't want to be lecture. <laughs> <laughs> With the glasses. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Chubb made me get a couple more clips. I'll play them now, and then we can wrap up uh, Star Trek Two. Ship. Out of danger. Yes. Don't grieve, Admiral. It is logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or, or the one. I never took it. Solution. Chubby, you crying? <laughs> you know he is. Yeah. friend, I can only say this. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Others? Come those bagpipes, Chubb. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, guys. Okay, let's shoot him out the airlock at that crumbling <laughs> planet. Okay. Oh, I was horrified. I remember asking my mother in the movie, did they just, they didn't kill Spock, did they? She had to, like, I was oh. horrified. Like, I could not. <laughs> it I couldn't was believe terrible. It. it was terrible. She was like, just look at the movie. What do you want me to do? I, like, like I did it. Like, I did the movie. My mother was, my mother was <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. I don't. The other thing, too, is like, you know, they're one of the first, the original interstellar intergalactic bromances right there, the two of them. And, you yeah. know, yeah. Spock was the the logic and reason and yet the moral compass, in a way, of that crew, of that bridge, and and so key, so very important. And I, I, I don't know. I mean... At, at the point of when I first saw this, which I can't remember exactly when I first saw this, I think I actually did get to see this one in the theater, but I can't truly remember. But I just, I, I don't know. You know, by this time, I'd become such a fan, and Spock was the character. I mean, he was what I was drawn to the most, and they killed him. Yeah. Yep. I, and he gave you lessons. I I remember having. Oh yeah. Like, Star oh, Trek yeah. was something where you could actually have conversations about things. Like my mother would be like, um, "Sometimes it's good to be selfless." And when they had the conversation about egos with with uh, Kirk, when he was telling them, you know, I don't want to take command of the ship. Just you know, just get me to, uh, you know, the, right. the uh, space right. station. And, and he was trying to tell him it doesn't matter what and and she my mother had used that to be don't worry about like if you want to do something do something but don't worry about how people look at you when you do it if it's something you know like don't worry about all that don't let other people define what you do and who you are and all that kind of stuff like and that's from a movie from a you know from a, a science fiction film it's something that you can pull out all these little things from Star Trek, and that's what it did. Star Trek did that when it was the, the original series. That's what it, it it pulled out all that, all these little things. The human condition is, is something that you can pull out of out of all of Star Trek, and I think that's what I love and enjoy about that. And it's different from Star Wars and other stuff, and that's what's good about it. Like you get everything has something different that you can pull from it, and and it's just so amazing how how uh, much stuff that you can pull from this. Yeah. Uh, my thoughts real quick, this is the best action pretty much in any of the Star Trek films. Star Trek Six is close. I mean, there's a lot of great action in Six. There's a lot, yeah. But for the time, for this earlier period, it was a really great. Ricardo Montalban is the man. What else has to be said? In space. I mean, yeah. who else is going to deliver lines like that? He is so, so good. It was so yeah. funny, too, because, I mean, at that point, he was very famous for playing Mr. Rourke on Fantasy yep. Island. Yeah. Right. Very suave, right. like debonair. Which was right. all I knew him from. Christ right. Cordova. Really, like, dashing guy. And then here he is playing with, like, you know, this murderous, <laughs> thirsty, revenge-driven villain. I mean, people yeah. And he nailed it. Nailed no, it. of course he Nailed did. I mean, it. He was it. just on it, man. It was great. I don't know if he won anything for this movie. I didn't research it that deeply, I don't but think he no, did. No. He no. should have. He was really, really good. Yeah, and uh, Nicholas Myers, like, I, I, the, the one thing I remember watching that movie, I'm like, dude, Mr. Rourke is like, like, <laughs> hit the gym, man. Like, right. oh yeah, like, oh, what, yeah. what's up with it? That was his he, chest. He, he like, was not build his fantasy. Island. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was is all Ricardo. <laughs> he did it he was barrel chested for sure absolutely oh, he definitely had that uh the, the music by james horner was just incredible i mean 
plucked at your heartstrings, especially during Spock's death, as you heard, and then really throughout the whole film. It was a great – I mean, I like what Jerry Goldsmith did with the first one, and, of course, he has many more Star Treks later on, but uh, James Horner just really – just it's nailed it. Horner's, Horner, yeah, and Horner's soundtrack has a lot of callbacks to the original soundtrack from the series, yep. like yep. use yeah. of woodwinds, like marimbas, mm-hmm. uh, blocks, and things like it's that. More intimate, though. You heard yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, it is. Goldsmith was more orchestra, you know, more orchestral, yeah. more cinema orchestra, like like right, big movie right. type of sound. Yeah, you're right, right about that. And then Nicholas Meyer again, because he did six as well, and he also did this one as far as directing it. Just Again, perfect. I mean, what what can you say about this? What what was missed? <laughs> Nothing. I mean, if you had a bigger budget, maybe you could have done a little bit more. But beyond that, great and you Star Trek realize, movie. You don't even realize that Kirk and Khan never meet in the same yeah. room. They're yeah. only on the view screen, nope. and yeah. yeah, that's that's funny. It, You're right. It was just the one thing I don't think people realize when watching this movie, but especially looking at it with a more modern eye, this was a tight flick. I mm-hmm. mean. This thing, Absolutely. I mean, it, it was 113 minutes, but it was, I mean, Didn't there's, no, there's no messing <laughs> no. around. It's almost oh, like sure. it. That yeah, was they, a direct reaction to the first movie. Yeah. That was yeah. like one of the main yeah. criticisms of yeah. the first movie is that it was too long. Mm-hmm. It took too long to get where it was going and stuff. That's why, I I think that's why, like you said, Russ, this is so tight and so quick. And, and the, the script just clips along. You know, it doesn't Man, stop at all. And yeah, it, it's more... It's like the military. I mean, it, it, yeah. the way that they set up with the with the uh, the new uniforms were more right. Uh, you know, naval like, naval inspired naval or something. And, yeah, and I think that that the it, different the, colored collars the from the yeah turtlenecks yeah. underneath yeah. it were was, yeah. And instead of like trying to erase the continuity that had gone before and trying to set something new, they embraced it. They brought back an old villain from the TV show, Khan. Yeah. They brought back, you know, the whole backstory with Kirk and his son. Right. You know, all, I mean, so all these good. different all these different ties to the original series that they kind of shied away from in the first movie. Savic meeting. Because uh... I remember when I watched the movie in the theater with my dad, huge Star Trek original series fan, and they, uh, and you know, and, and check off. You know, Walter Koenig moves the, the moss away and it says Botany Bay. Yeah. And my dad's like, oh, crap. Uh, it's my on. dad knew immediately what, was, what it was. Because you I say it with him. Like, <laughs> I was looking at I was like, what, what? And then it took me a minute. I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. Well, and what's interesting is you go back to Space Seed. Mm-hmm. Chekhov mm-hmm. is never in that. He wasn't in an episode. No. Right? <laughs> you remember the they yet. played this. They played Space Seed the night before it came out you yeah, were saying that on the last podcast you yeah. said they did a special uh did a on, whole on the big special screen. on it to get yeah. you hyped up to you know they showed you the movie again they showed you some of the behind the scenes stuff they talked about you know little things here and there and and you know kind of it kind of got you reacquainted with uh the backstory of this of this before you know with Khan and and, and kirk before it started the the film but you're right, Chekhov or Walter Koenig didn't join the crew until season two. So I guess right. he was on a lower deck. So we'll just assume he was not promoted yeah, he to was bridge duty. He was, yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows what happened in the Enterprise. <laughs> Come on, it's common knowledge. Tried to murder. My dad knew. He wasn't on the <laughs> ship, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's so good, though, because it's it's a cat and mouse. It's like sub-warfare. It's, it's just... It, that That's what I love about that movie. It's just, you know, here's the guy in the inferior ship... But because of his intellect and the crew he has right. versus this highly advanced ship that has a training crew because, the, the, you know, the, at this point, the Enterprise isn't like the, the you right. know, the, the 
keep you know piece the the centerpiece of the Federation's fleet. It's you know it's it it has it's been a training ship. Yeah, and it. It, it I mean, Scotty's to, nephew, that's another thing. Oh, yeah. That died. But they didn't say it was his nephew. That was a cut no, scene, wasn't cut it? That, that in, was, yeah. 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 That was later with Peter. Yep. Yeah. Eisenstein from uh, Skip, from, uh, Skip to Witch Mountain. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tony. But it, uh, it, it just, I, I don't know. I, I just, I really love the fact that it was just this. It, it To me, it cemented Kirk is the greatest captain in the history of the Federation. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> whole bit. When he's playing dumb and he pulls out the glasses and he sends right. the codes and then he fire. I mean, it was it's just- coming over now, Con. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That grandpa look over the top of his glasses. It's, yeah. it's he goes, uh, damn. damn. <laughs> my, my bridge is in shambles. So I need, keep, I need time. Keep quoting regulations. Shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the bit on the planet when he takes the bite of that apple and says, "I don't like to lose." Yeah. They, I mean, it was just like. Can I cook? Eat that Christopher Pine. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh. it was just, it was so awesome. Like, it it's just... like he got it. Like, the, the, yeah. the director, Nicholas, he got these characters and he knew what the fan, he gave you fan service without feeling like you're getting fan service. Right. And it, yeah. but because the fun was back and that was lacking right. in the motion picture. Yeah. They didn't have fun. The, with Star Trek, even early on, this fun between Kirk and Spock and McCoy and the rest of them, it was not lighthearted, but they, but they enjoyed working together, at least on the screen they did. I don't know about right. real life, but you, you got that sense, and that's what this movie recaptured. Man, I, I tell you, I, I love First Contact. I really, really enjoyed um, Star Trek IV, mm-hmm. and I love the Abrams Star Trek, but, man, yeah. I just – every time I – I, I fire up Star Trek two or watch a clip or, or start thinking about it. I'm like, that is the quintessential Star Trek movie for me. Like it, it, nothing Absolutely. is, it, you know, I think some of it kind of, you get in the moment and it kind of, and it kind of sways your opinion. I think when I went and saw the JJ Star Trek, it was just, it, it had been so long and, and, you know, and it worked, mm-hmm. it just kind of sways me. But then you go back to Wrath of Khan and you're just like, nope, this is it. This is the best that, that it is. Yeah, because Star Trek, the, the, the reboot only works because it took a lot of what made, you know, a lot of what they did with with this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. like without that friendship, it started, like they based so much on, on friendship, on tragedy, all, all of that. That comes from Khan. Like Rath, they knew what worked in Rath yep. Khan, and they just yeah. they just uh, twisted know. it inside out, and then made exactly. it exactly. Yeah, I mean, even oh. so much so, so much so that Abrams' second movie had Khan in it. <laughs> you know, and was like yeah, he went over, over overboard with the fan service. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Still couldn't beat Montalban. Didn't have that chess going. Didn't no, have that chess game. Even have tried. Yeah, Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas Meyer directed both my favorite Star Trek movies. This, this one and six. six. Right. Yeah. Yep. I yep. really think six. I mean, I know we'll get to it, but I really think it's underrated. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, I totally oh, yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it is. It totally is. Yeah. So moving on to the next one was Star Trek Three, and this was released. Uh, let's see here on June first, nineteen eighty four. So it was a couple years after the uh, the Star Trek Two. It was directed this time by Leonard Nimoy. So he, uh, I guess, agreed to come back as Spock and reprise his role if. And only if he could direct the movie, and he got the role, and actually did a really good job with it. Mm-hmm. It was written by, oh yeah, written by Harv Bennett, produced by Harv Bennett, and music again by James Horner. So it, the music continuity or the soundtrack continuity is definitely there between Star Trek Three and Star Trek Two. What are you guys' thoughts on Three: The Search for Spock? I always felt like this was just a. Uh, it's it. It feels like it feels like this was just part of the end of uh, Wrath of Khan. Like this, is just one movie. 
just an extra. Now, I, getting to the ratings real quick. I'm sorry, the uh, the money took it in. The budget was even less. It was only sixteen million dollars for this movie. It definitely felt less. Crazy, right? And the box office was eighty-seven million. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it did did a little bit less, but still, it was up there. Yeah, it it. I, I loved it. I mean, it, it just felt like, you know, you're still dealing with the tragedy of what happened. And, and is there a chance the Spock's going to live or not? Because you really didn't know. This is not the thing of spoilers. This is not the right, the right. age of the spoilers. So they were still a lot of uh, rumors back and forth of uh, Spock was not coming back. Like that was the, the census that he was not going to come back. But it was in the well, title. You heard so I guess, Nimoy yeah. was directing, too. And you're like, oh, OK, I guess he's not, you know, coming back, but they're going to figure right. something out. But. Right. But, and and two, the other thing is Par- Paramount I was kind of taking a, a page out of the Lucasfilm book at this point. I mean, they were very tight lipped about everything. Yes. I, mean, I think yeah. I think I think they got a little pissed after Star Trek, Two because the death of Spock kind of got out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember, it, you know, there are a lot of you know rumors and stuff and, and they, you know, kept things under wraps uh, for three quite a bit. So. They put out I, false things too, like yeah, oh, yeah. misinformation. Huh? Yeah, misinformation yeah. Always, all the time. I always think of three as like the one they had to do. Like, yeah, I think yeah. it was like you know, all things equal. Is this really the next story they wanted to tell? Maybe, maybe not. But it was the one. It's like okay, we have to do this so we can set things up to move forward. And I think once they realized, you know, because again, release Star Trek two. If it's not a runaway hit, then they're done. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's yeah. no more. So the thing, you know, it, it 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 was extremely well received critically. It did well, uh, you know, well at the box office, and then you know, and then when it got the home video at the, in the early days of home video, it did extremely well. So I think they kind of realized it's like, okay, well, we gotta we gotta work ourselves out of this corner that we've we've done, and <laughs> you know, given Nimoy the director's chair, kind of helped with that, and so it just it, I, I you know. For this one, I almost there's nothing in here that I look at and I'm like, you know, okay, that was really terrible. And there's nothing in here that I really look at and go, wow, that really blew me away. It was, it was, it the, again, this one felt more like an episode because it was like, okay, right. something happened previously. Now they have to tell the story to kind of right. get past it and move on. Well, much the way that The Godfather and The Godfather 2 is really together one big long story, one big long film. That's the way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I see two and three. Yeah, I, I don't know if handsome. I could put. I, yeah, well, two, three, and four is really it's one super long movie. That's mm. what it is. And, yeah, that's pretty and that's cool way looking at it. Kind of yeah. the way I look at it because yeah. at the time I know I saw Star Trek three in the theater and I just I I remember just thinking because I had just seen two on VHS or something. I I just remember thinking this it it's it's just one long story you know and and it it had nobody like it was so weird to see the enterprise have no crew no crew was beat up it was shot up from con it was yeah i know yeah and see the like and this was such a this journey of kirk i mean to go from motion picture where he was fighting tooth and nails to get that chair back and then we get to this where he basically said f it yeah, I'm out. Like, right. even, right. remember when he when he was floating out when they stole the Enterprise, and the last thing that was he heard over the con was, "If you do this, you will never sit in that. You'll never get the command of a ship again." Well, since yeah. you say that, let, let's play a little little clip from Star Trek Three and get us into the mood. We have cleared space doors. 
impulse power. Nice. Stand by a tractor beam. Tractor beam? Aye. Now he tries to get away with warp drive. <laughs> He's really in for a shock. <laughs> Scotty, we'll need everything you have. Aye, sir. What drive standing by? Kirk, you do this, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. Warp speed. Aye, sir. Warp speed. Oh. Bring on passage of. Kill my son. You cling on best. There are two more prisoners, uh. Admiral. Do you want them killed too? Surrender your vessel. All right. All right, damn you. I think what says that you yeah. my friend. Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think the only thing that really sticks out for me, I mean, other than what everyone else has said about it being more connective tissue, was Christopher, Christopher Lloyd. Mm-hmm. As oh, he was good. Yeah, yeah, he was good. Um, he's always good. I mean, this, he was as well. And John Larroquette from Night Court. As, <laughs> yes. <and> Maltz. <laughs> right. He played Maltz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John E2. The Choichu. Everybody remembers that, right? I had enough of you. <laughs> that was like classic Shatner right that there, was. man. Yep. Yeah, it was good stuff. I mean, when he fell in that shit. Like that scene got me. Like that scene punched me when when they killed David and he yeah couldn't even get back to the chair and he he fell in front of the chair. Right, he kind of yeah. stumbled. Yeah, it was yeah. good. That totally. I think that made me tear up a little bit. Like that was just such a gut punch. I think we we forget this though with Star Trek Three. It's funny. I mean, you remember the story. It's all right. They go back to Genesis, but the Enterprise got blown up. All right. Yeah. I mean, we, and they we, showed we see... it in the trailer. Yeah. That's you know, it was, <laughs> they did. They did. I was like, what? Well, Taco Bell, oh, yeah. and I I still have a complete set of them. Taco Bell put out. They got the licensing for it, and they put out glasses. You know, drinking glasses that you could get and it has one of the drinking glasses is that scene one side of it is the is kirk bones and and uh um i think it's just the two of them staring up and then the other side is the enterprise blowing up and it those glasses were available before the film was released i'm glad (laughs) i didn't have that yeah right i mean i didn't see that coming i didn't have that glasses so i really didn't know this yeah. was the only so this one in Star Trek the Motion Picture are the only two of all of them that I haven't seen in the theater. 
Mm. Oh. I didn't. I, I we were supposed to. So at we when this came out, we were supposed to. This came out in what June of eighty four. Eighty four, June first, nineteen eighty four. So we were supposed to go see this at the drive-in because my um, a, a good friend of mine, his brother was like the head engineer at this at this drive-in, and at the last minute we couldn't go that day because he wasn't working. And so we had to go another day, and we ended up seeing. Um, no, I guess it was it was later because it was, yeah, because it was later. It was weird because this had already been at the theater, so it was Rambo. It was First Blood. Uh, it was uh, First Blood Part Two. We ended up seeing instead, um, which was later because it was like a year later because we'd already moved to Houston at that point. So this is like eighty five, but for some reason they were going to show Star Trek three, and we were all excited because we hadn't seen it. And it had already been out in the theater for quite some time. So, um, yeah. But yeah, those are the only two that I haven't seen in the theater. All the rest of them I, I was able to see. I'll say this about this one, too. I mean, this one also grew on me a bit. Like, two I loved from the rip. I loved it. that Whenever I'd rent that tape, it was a great experience. Three is, all right, it was cool. I, I even had, I'll remember this now. All right, now I was getting in my early childhood years. I had the little record with storybook combo for this one. Like, I don't know if you remember those, but you had like a little record, and then you had this little comic book that you'd read along, and you'd hear clips I have from the movie. Several oh, of those. Yeah. oh, it was yeah. so cool. I mean, I remember that about this one, but I just didn't. As I got older, I appreciated this movie a lot more. I was able to appreciate Leonard Nimoy's direction. Like, there was some really good shots in this yeah. movie. Just yeah. the way he framed things was was very good. He's very talented. He was very talented, I should say, as a director and. Uh, and it showed. And, of course, James Horner, again, I appreciate the technical stuff, I guess, a lot in these movies. And his uh, music was just, again, on point. It was bigger than Star Trek II, but it had the same thread, had the same continuity, that same type of orchestra feel. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I don't know. It just This has got to me. Like, it was just so – just watching the journey of, of this crew together and, and how they just basically broke the law. <laughs> they just basically yeah. – for yeah, their friendship – yeah, the and that, feeling of that ship was great. That Excelsior, oh yeah. When we when get we out finally, of there, I know. Get out. When we finally get to the next generation movies, I they're just I'll, I know I'll bring it up, but there's just something I wish that they had done that this crew that they had that they did with the original crew. What's like, that? To have the story where they kind of break all the rules to because they that's how much they care about each other as a crew. I just that wish kind of what happens, wait, that kind of happens in all good things, though. Because like, Picard is kind of off his rocker, and everybody kind of yeah. like... Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. Like, yeah. the rules. But I so, wish like, they had... St- that spot. Yeah, God, yeah, it's true, but I wish they had a, did done that in the, the original script that they had meant for Insurrection. For Insurrection. which they had yeah. stuck to that. Uh, because that yeah, would have been yeah. more of this. Like, they would have seriously broke yeah yeah the law to, to to you know to save those people and i think it would have been the movie would have had more of an impact if they had stuck to the original you're right because all they did was like lose their uniforms and they just were against some one wacky admiral that was it right, they weren't fighting right. all of starfleet or yeah. all of they didn't steal the right. enterprise and go somewhere yeah, yeah you're right about that that's true the stakes weren't high on that one right the stakes weren't high on it and it, the stakes were high in this in this film for them like this this ended their careers there was one funny scene, you guys probably remember this, where, where McCoy is trying to charter passage to Genesis oh, with yeah. that alien. I, I didn't get the clip of that one, but how funny is that, right? You backwards fellow 
money I have, <laughs> ship you take or something. It was just a funny scene. I like that. They had to be making fun of Yoda and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, he talked backwards, right? That's and him and that, and that. Oh, and I forget. We forget about that too. With Bones having, you know, that whole thing of of Spock. I didn't even get the call back. I didn't even know he did that. Like I didn't get why he put his hands on his face. Remember yeah. and said, "Remember." I didn't understand what Remember. the point with that was. And apparently, in doing research for this, they did that because the original uh, cut of the film didn't have that or something. And and Spock really was supposed to be just dead, dead. And the audiences hated it. They absolutely hated the movie because of that ending. So they added some little extra thing there just to make it so there is some possibility that that Spock can continue. And obviously, he did, and and he did, and it did. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Like. I'm glad that that happened and they did do that. Yeah. So, again, really cerebral stuff. I mean, we went through life mm-hmm. and death and pretty serious stuff, even for, like, kids. I mean, this is some pretty pretty heavy duty. So it seems like the producers wanted to lighten things up a lot for our next movie called right. Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. And that was <laughs> uh, released November 26th. Admiral, there be whales here. There be- <laughs> November 26th, 1986. It was also, again, directed by Leonard Nimoy. Again, fantastic job directing. Oh, really yeah. good job. Um, produced by Harv Bennett. Screenplay by a bunch of people. Steve Mearson, Peter Crikes, Nicholas Meyer, and Harv Bennett. And uh, this one had a little bit of a higher budget, about almost $10 million more than The Wrath of Khan. It was $21 million budget, so they upped the stakes a bit. But the box office was huge, $133 million for this mm-hmm. one. So because they lightened things up and they brought it down to earth, so to speak, I think they, they brought in a new back. audience. It was more family-friendly, too. And they gave a lot of promotion for this film. Except for a few colorful metaphors. We'll get to that in a minute. I got got some clips for you. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you guys... I mean, do you remember seeing this in the theater? Or is this... Again, so with my... uh, This time, this was the first film I didn't see with my mom this time. I saw this... I think I was in Staten Island for the summer. And I saw this with my cousin Linda. She rest in peace. But we saw this together. And she wasn't the Trekkie at all. But I think it goes to what you were saying because of the, the the way that the film, you know, was more lighter and stuff. She was like, all right, I'll go see this with you. Like we it was a bunch of us together and, and we kind of all of us broke off. We was all our cousins were together and we broke off and saw different films. And me and her went to go see this one. And she dug it because it was it was less of the science fiction and more, you know little bit more action adventure and yeah comedy yeah comedy and it it brought the crew that we loved really down to earth down to our time totally did and it made them it just made them that more much more lovable Mm -hmm. i missed the enterprise though yeah yeah they were they were (laughs) still in the commandeered klingon they cruise the enterprise was in it yeah well the a right no no the uss enterprise aircraft carrier Oh, I see. Yep. Okay, the, the nuclear nuclear vessel, right? Yes, yes. Okay, yes. let's uh, Alameda. Let's, yeah, let's <laughs> let's play a little clip and get us into the mood for Star Trek Four. vessels in Alameda. Could you tell me where... Can you Could help you, us? Please, we're looking for the naval base in Alameda. Could you tell me where the nuclear vessels are? Nu- Ooh, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I think it's across the bay. In Alameda. 
That's what I said, Alameda. Alameda. I know but that. But where is Alameda? <laughs> Question. Spock, don't call me Ed. You used to call me Jim. Don't you remember Jim? What's your question? Your use of language has altered since our arrival. It is currently laced with, shall I say, more colorful metaphors. Double dumbass on you and so forth. You mean the profanity? Yes. That's simply the way they talk here. Nobody pays any attention to you unless you swear every other word. You'll find it in all the literature of the period. For example? Well, the collected works of Jacqueline Suzanne. Her uh, novels are Harold Roberts. Ah. The Giants. <laughs> the Giants. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what this is all about, but I want you guys out here right now, or I call the cops. I assure you that won't be necessary. We're only trying to help. The hell you were, Buster. Your friend was messing up my tanks and messing up my whales. They like you very much, but they are not the hell your whales. I, I suppose they've told you that, huh? The hell they did. Spock. <laughs> yes. About those colorful metaphors that we've discussed. I don't think you should try using them anymore. Why not? Well, for one thing, you haven't quite got the knack of it. I see. And another thing, it's not always necessary to tell the truth. I cannot tell a lie. I don't mean lie. But you could exaggerate. Exaggerate? Exaggerate. You've done it before. Can't you remember? The hell I can't. <laughs> <laughs> on a, on a, a weirdly personal note, yeah. when they when they get on that bus where the guy gets the Vulcan neck pinch, who's listening to the boombox of the really uh, crappy uh, supposed punk music or whatever. Yeah. When they're getting on the, the bus stop was literally like the corner I lived on in San Francisco. It was, oh uh, no way! It was oh, uh, wow. Kearney, Kearney, Kearney and Columbus. Wow. No way! I, I That's lived so cool. On the fourth floor above a Vietnamese restaurant, like right on that corner. So where he Man. sees that map at that little phone booth or whatever, that was you were right there, huh? Yeah, because I'm like I I ended up I, I I you know I saw this in the theater and I moved to San Francisco like in the late '80s and I moved back in the in the mid '90s. I saw the movie again on on VHS at some point later and I was like, wait a minute! And I look, I'm like, yeah, that's Kearney, Columbus. That's where I live. Because it's not a big city, so it, it makes sense. It's not well, huge. Yeah. My God. This this was probably my, I mean, I loved two, but I had such a good time with this one, especially yeah. like Scotty and the picking up the mouse to the computer and talking to it and the whole Hello, computer aluminum thing. I still and, do that and all that. And, and, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what too is, I remember in 1989 I got my first. My parents already had one, but my first VCR my own VCR and the first two VHS tapes I bought were Roger Rabbit and Star Trek for the voyage home. Wow. I remember just watching it over and over and over again. I just, I loved this movie. I loved them flying in the Klingon ship. I loved the whole <laughs> slingshot around the sun thing. I liked, uh, you know, what's her name that played the doctor um, and the whole thing of her coming to the, back you know 
with the whales because somebody's got it. I mean, there's just so many pieces of this film that are just so good and well put together. It it definitely does not outshine Rathacon, but it's up there for me. I really, really loved this film. I, I enjoyed it. If if it's not up there, it's my favorite. I, I want more sci-fi. Like I, those are always going to be my. Yeah, this one was just fun. It was it was fun. It was a romp. Yeah, it was a romp. But I, it just it, it ended a story. This was their storyline to get them back to, uh, you know, to get them right. back on the new ship. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's just a really good film. I thought it was well directed. Again, I, I appreciated it more as I've gotten older a bit too. I thought it was a little campy. You know, even back then, it felt a little strange. You know, to be watching it. But... That '80s score. Did you hear the beginning? Yeah. yeah. Was... Oh, wow. <laughs> Very, very much Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> but listen, that was big back then, right? I yeah. Mean, November twelfth, nineteen eighty six. That was, listen, that was it. And then that, that was, was what every you did. other movie, right? That that's came a- out around that time. Nineteen eighty six was an epic year. I mean, that's the year you know the Bears won the Super Bowl, and yeah. you know with Super the Bear best, Shuffle. the the best NFL defense that ever has been seen and ever will be. The seen. refrigerator. It was the best uh, year. It was the best year of comics ever, too. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, Dark Watchmen, Returns, Dark Returns, all came out. You know, six V for Vendetta. But, yeah, but also that's the year of the shuttle explosion. I mean, '86 yeah, was right. a big year a for a lot of landmark stuff, and this movie coming out, I don't know, in November, just it, it there, it just. I don't know. I they love... dedicated the movie to the Challenger uh, right. astronauts yep. as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, 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 we talked about it already, but it, this was just fun. Like, I, I like the fact that we, you know, we had the seriousness of two and then, you know, kind of the, the emotional ride of three. This one was, you know, and everything was just kind of serious and dark and they just had the enterprise, you know, blown up and, and for this one to just add humor and to be fun, but yet keep, you know, those tropes of Star Trek, right. You know, the time travel, um, back on Earth in in, in the wrong time, um, or, or not in their time, and it just you know, the fourteen year old me when they start doing all the swearing stuff and <laughs> and misusing it and stuff like that was just I I remember laughing so hard watching watching that in the theater just because it was just so so well done and well written and I think I saw this probably two or three times in the theater easy. Um, but it was just, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, it was, it was, uh, and it, and again, it, it, I think it kind of broadened the appeal of Star Trek because it did. there are people that just weren't into sci-fi or weren't into Star Trek. And because 85% yep. of this movie takes place in present day earth with no gadgets and, you know, all this other kind of stuff and spaceships and everything, it, it, it just was able to kind of mass appeal to people and show that, okay, Star Trek isn't always just about, you know, uh, you know, phasers and spaceships and warp travel and all this other kind of stuff. And it just well, it was just a lot of fun. The box right. office agrees with you. One hundred and thirty three million. It was the largest grossing Star Trek film really almost ever mm-hmm. um, up until the new J.J. movies were, I believe. And it had the the message with the whales. And I remember they did a lot of, you know, they talked about that and and. uh Nuclear uh, weapons and right. like, there oh, were a sure, lot yeah. of that in there Very as well. Time. All through the movie, it had little things where they would like message. Yeah, The whalers, the evil whalers on the on the whale ship, and you yeah, know, all littering. The... You know all the yeah, sure, yeah. 
nuclear vessels. Nuclear vessels. Just laying around. I can so when you lived there, those. Jim, did you see the nuclear vessels across the bay in Alameda? <laughs> no, when I lived there, I was an, appre- I was an apprentice uh, online cook at a restaurant that had been there for about 100 years. And I was up at 5 a.m. every morning and home and ready to pass out oh, about like four or five in the, the Jedi temple. Was exactly. And I was, because, I was learning. <laughs> I, was learning one. I was learning my craft. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I was all about. Yeah. So, well, great. I mean, I think everyone can say it was definitely an uplifting movie and it changed gears. And as we see at the end of that movie, that the crew is, is given a new starship enterprise after their old one is blown up and they're cleared of any charges, of course, because they saved the planet. Um, the Enterprise NCC-1701A, which I guess, and you guys may know more than this, it was recommissioned. It was another ship, because it was another Constitution-class refit, right. but it was like the Yorktown or something, and then they renamed it the Enterprise. Is that is that the lore? I don't know the complete story with that. I think that was the backstory that it was yeah, a Constitution-class, because they did back then. It, they well, it was of- a Constitution-class, but yeah. it originally under, because... I thought it was a retrofitted because it was like <sighs> it was redone like the other one was. It was a refit, but it was not originally. It was called something else, something yeah, else, yeah, and they renamed it. it. Yeah. Well, it, the original it was Constellation class. When it became the A, it became the Enterprise class. Uh, no, it was Constitution class refit. They called it. Right. Um, because you remember they they did no more Constitution classes after that. No, yeah, was, they, they were refit. because then um, um, C and the D Excelsior were the first the, galaxy the class, one. right? Uh, well, C was ambassador class, D was galaxy class. Okay. Right. Yeah. But, uh, all right, well, interesting. Hey, so the, you guys are a bunch of nerds. Hey, man, this is why we're here. <laughs> for you to say that, Jim? All right, hey, I, I feel vindicated. We're here for a reason, guys, all right? So the Kirk and crew are given a new ship, and we see them kind of warp away at the end of Star Trek IV. takes a few years up until June 9th of 1989, but then we have another Star Trek feature film entitled Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Is, oof. Oof. Oh, no. Oh, all right. All right. I'll have to this say. does have one of my favorite scenes of all Star Trek in it, though. The row, row, row your boat, I'm the, sure. The right. sitting around eating the marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> and singing row 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 your butt. I love. I absolutely love that scene. Well, this was in any way. Sorry. This was directed. Maybe Uhura singing no, on the ridge. No love and, oh. for this film at all. I'm really? Sorry. You get None. your hate out of here, Mister. Yeah, because it grew on I, I love I all the other. Look, man, I will sit down and watch any of the other movies with you right now. Hell, I will watch Generations with you right now. That's I will a watch, good movie. I, come I will on. watch. I will watch Nemesis with you right now. All right, now, now you're pushing it. Don't okay. push it. All right. I, I despise <laughs> this movie. I saw it in the theater when it came out, and I was just like, I, I had a bad taste in my mouth for Star Trek after that. Wow. I, yeah. I still love it. it, it there is a lot too, of buddy, things about it I, that I can't stand, but I still, and I mean that, all oh, the poor editing. I it mean, had I had a lot of rolling eyes moments in this. I place. remember though, when 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 they're on the boots and they're shooting up that elevator shaft, they pass like deck. I don't deck remember, eighty but, or ninety or something like that. Yeah, like, it's like, come like on, right. four times or something like that. <laughs> yeah, this is messy. There's only twenty yeah. decks on the whole ship, and they were up it's deck ninety. Messy. That's great. Yeah. Well, it was directed by William Shatner, so we'll start there. His screenplay was by David uh, Logary. The story was by Bill Shatner, Harv Bennett, and David Logary. And the music was by Jerry Goldsmith again. So he did the music from Star Trek The Motion Picture, and they brought him back in for Star Trek V. This one cost – actually, it was a higher-budget movie for them. It was $33 million. 
and the box office was only $63 million. Yeah. So that was half of what Star Trek Four brought in and almost it's double also, the cost. It's also the lowest rated on IMDb at a 5.4. Well, there you go. Uh, you, so you're, you're definitely vindicated by IMDb there, but it, was, it did almost kill the Star Trek movie franchise. I will say okay. that. Um, all right, well, we've heard a couple of your thoughts, guys. I mean, let's just jump right into the clip, and then we can circle back and talk about Bill Shatner's uh, directorial experience. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life. Come on, Spock. Why didn't you jump in? I was trying to comprehend the meaning of the words. It's a song, you green-blooded Vulcan. You sing it. The words aren't important. What's important is that you have a good time singing it. Oh, I am sorry, Doctor. We'll be having a good time. God, I liked him better before he died. All right, all right, all right. Let's go. Let's, 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 let's go to bed and just let's get some sleep. All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer by. Melville, John Mayfield. Are you sure about that? I am well-versed in the classics, Doctor. Then how come you don't know row, row, row your boat? Stand back. Stand Stand back. back. (coughs) What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? (laughs) (laughs) This is where we lose Jim, right about here. Is it possible? Fascinating. Are we dreaming? If we are, then life is a dream. Oh, God. That's where we lost Jim. Jim is gone now. We lost him. Oh, then we find yeah. out God is a guarded gnome. Breach. What is God <laughs> with a starship? This starship could it carry Wisdom beyond the barrier. It could, yes. Then I shall make use of this starship. It will be your chariot. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. It will carry my power to every corner of creation. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? Bring the ship closer. I said. What does God need with a starship? Jim, what are you doing? I'm asking you a question. Who is this creature? Who am I? Don't you know? Aren't you God? He has his doubts. You doubt me? I seek proof. Jim, you don't ask the Almighty for his ID. <laughs> Jim's gone. Jim's asleep. Uh, no, Damn that's me. Jim. <laughs> uh, man, you know what's funny have, is it's a tough one, huh? Go ahead, Russ. This was like I think one of the greatest cases of bait and switch with a trailer because yeah, I remember watching the trailer going, "Man, this one's probably going to be the best one yet." Like it had the humor that we liked from Star Trek Four. It had it looked like it had quite a bit of action. Um, you, you know, they had all this crazy. It, it, the trailer was just really well put together. You know, Scotty, I know the ship like the back of my hand, and he whacks his head on the bulkhead. <laughs> you know, just it was. I was like, I was so excited for it, and I remember going to the theater 
to see this and it was it was this one was released back so they kind of went for the summer winter stuff so the mm, star trek four was June. In, yeah it was in winter this one was summer um and me and my buddy went and saw it and it was hotter than hell out in houston it had to be almost 100 degrees Ooh. and uh we got to the theater kind of late um it was completely sold out except we sat in like the second row and had to watch this movie which didn't help you know, you're watching it and it's like, man, this is a really bad movie. And then it's like, wow, I'm sitting in the second row and I think my neck is, is starting to hurt because <laughs> this wasn't like, um, you know, for you kids at home, this isn't your stadium seating. This is back no. in the old, you know, no. flat, you know, seating where if you're sitting in a seat and some, some uh, guy that's, you know, six, four sits in front of you, you're not seeing squat. Uh, nope. And, and if you're in the first three rows, that's the neck breaker. Oh man, it was so uh, terrible. The neck but, breaker row. <laughs> yeah, but it was just it was so bad. And then you know you this is almost one of those movies where I really want to see a really good documentary on it because mm-hmm. talk about studio interference oh. and rewrites and budget cuts and all kinds of other things. And you know Shatner kind of sticks <laughs> with the fact that if they would have made let him make the movie he wanted to make that you know it would have been different i don't know if that's the case or not <laughs> i think him as i think him as a director was a poor choice uh, really i so, don't think he hmm. should have directed it and no. I, it, but no. writing it maybe still would have been good but i just i don't like the story that they came up with because 1989 was a big year for william shatner because that's also the year that he released tech war which spawned you know nine novels <laughs> Uh, and I really enjoyed Tech War and, yeah. and the whole series, but um, but what was wrong with the direction? If you don't mind me asking you, you just said it was, I didn't the direction, see a problem I, with it. He at least I don't know who the cinematographer was, but at least the the you know the the DP was able to keep some of the framing together. But I don't know there there was odd lighting choices. There was odd. Um, editing choices, and I know he wasn't the editor, but he still, you know, had yeah, he wasn't. The, the, the everybody seems stiff. Like, I mean, yeah. really? You know, even a the jokes, bit. you know, like the bit with McCoy where he's like, "You green blooded." It's almost Vulcan. like he doesn't know what to well, say next, and then he says, "Vulcan." It, I maybe they were ad libbing a bit. I, I don't I know. Just, I, I just thought he was drunk. <laughs> that could be too. <laughs> I got the. I'll be just the voice of dissent. I really enjoyed Shatner's. It was a fresh approach to Star Trek. A little bit. They seemed more relaxed in some ways they were wearing jeans on the bridge i mean when have we ever seen that before yeah but there are parts i I dug too i mean i was kind of cool with that yeah i didn't have a problem with it more relaxed kind of coming off shore leave and my favorite parts were the yeah i think my favorite parts were just seeing the world like it's the same love i can still have for motion picture even though i know it's it's not the best of the of the film right because it showed i just love that world I just loved seeing that world and to see any kind of different things in that world, like yeah. hanging out. The, well, you know, right. It's just great. Even if the ship is all in pieces because they're still trying to finish fixing it. I just love seeing that wires hanging down. Like it's Yeah. Just- yeah. I love like all the moments that had to do with our crew and their interaction with each other and the whole enterprise, all, all of that stuff. That was good. 
this story of first of all i remember spock's half brother i i just i was Ugh. rolling my eyes so hard at this character what, what was his name cybok cybok yeah i thought the name was stupid sounded was like bad. a retarded transformer <laughs> um, the whole thing the face of god and that, that was yeah I mean, wasn't it supposed to be sean connery though in this role and he I, and he couldn't do it for some reason that was supposed I to have be the whole no thing. idea no, but yeah. if sure. he if he passed on it he as cybok because yeah. The the whole that whole storyline just had me rolling my eyes so hard, and I I just hate it. I hate that character. But it, I just could not stand it. Yeah. But everything that had to do with the Enterprise and the camaraderie between our crew, share the, your the pain, whole, Richard. The, share your pain. I love the and message, draw strength though. from the sharing. I kind of love the message with Kirk is when he when he said, you know, like that was really. A, 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 I took it to home where you go. I like my pain. You I need my pain. pain. Yeah, you yeah. use your pain yeah. to, you know, like that's a part of you. You don't, you don't disregard it. And I think I kind of, I like the, like it, it had nice things peppered in, but I think Shatner's just not a strong enough director that you probably needed someone hmm. there to just tighten up little the story. Well, it's also, you know, somebody mentioned it. There was a lot of studio interference in this. I, yeah, I a lot of really? back and forth. I've heard the stories. Um, I, I remember uh, a con I was at with, and uh, Jimmy Doohan was at, and was talking, and uh, he was talking about it and everything else. That it was just, it it was grueling. There would be mm-hmm. times that they they would sit in their trailers all day and never go on set because somebody was doing some rewrite. There was some argument right. over something. I mean, it was it, it was. Shatner still talks that, about that. Yeah. Like how, yeah. Much, how much you know how how many many arguments and fights he had to do with the studio to to get this well and again this is 1989 i mean studios are going crazy because there is just a boom in film and you know this is when summer i mean we had summer films before that but this is you know i mean jaws really launched all the summer film stuff but I mean, 1989, I mean, you had the third Indiana Jones, you had Dead Poet Society, you right. had Batman, you had, you know, I mean, there was just so much. And this, this the studios were worried to, about that stuff, and they're just, they really, really interfered way too much, way too much. This is about the same time, too. I remember starting to read things in, like, Starlog about them wanting to launch a new Star Trek TV show. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first yeah. rumblings of, like, you know, we first... Starting to hear rumblings of them, you know, making the next generation. Well, actually, the generation. Well, all right. So, the next generation began that. in 1987. Yeah. This was began uh, shooting in October of '88 and was released in June of '89. So mm-hmm. they used actually a lot of the same sets. If you notice mm-hmm. from the Star Trek Enterprise D, like the hallways and a lot and a lot of the sets were reused for this movie to save yeah. money. Right. So this was the first movie after the next generation debuted. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it was interesting, you know, they're trying to keep that franchise afloat and, hey, we launched a new TV show and here's the new movie. And then this okay. movie was just like such not what they needed. You know? And that's weird, too, because if you think about it, you're right. This was the first one after The Next Generation. And that's two different universes now. It's like yeah. one is 75 years in the past and one is 75 years in the future. It's like, yeah, that was kind of strange, I guess. But well, that's Star Trek for you. Well, yeah, and I, I, you could tell that some of the actors kind of in the, in the, uh, the original uh, stuff, they, they kind of felt kind of like they were getting kicked out the door, a little bit. Oh, they hated the next generation. They yeah, didn't want any, yeah, they hated the whole yeah. thing, right? So that brings us to the last of the Star Trek original series 
movies. And this one, it took a few years to make, but it was December 6, 1991. So I guess actually two years after this one came out. And you're right, I went to that from that summer-winter thing. Uh, this one was directed by Nicholas Meyer, who we said before directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It was uh, also written by Nicholas Meyer and Denny Martin Flynn. Music by Cliff Eidelman, someone new to the franchise, but also very did a great job with it. And I, guys, your thoughts on this one? I mean, again, this was in the height of Next Generation. Now, this is you know the they were already into season three and basically season four at this point right. of Next Generation. What are you guys' thoughts on on this undiscovered country? Star this Trek changed six? everything. Exactly. Yes. I mean, you had the the Klingons working together with the Federation. Plus, you had the corruption in the in the federation as well yeah. like that's something you you didn't see and it kind of sets the table for what you see in next generation with the way the klingons yeah. and the federation are dealing with each other this mm-hmm. is what kind of set the way and if you know if anyone can change your mind about klingons it would be kirk a man whose you know own son was killed by them right but i mean the even beyond that the, the script is a lot smarter the acting is top notch. You got Christopher Plummer and David Warner in this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, you got Michael Dorn from the Next Generation as as, right. a, as a Klingon defense attorney. And yep. Rene Obergeois was in it, but he got cut out. He was he was in deleted scenes. <laughs> uh, and Kirkwood Smith from uh, you know Red. Yeah, Red was he was, the, he was the president of the Federation. Okay, or, or, or Boddicker. Yeah. You know, he was also Boddicker and Robocop. So. I, I guess Red first, Boddicker second, president right. of the Federation third. I, I, that's how you identify this, him. Huh? This but, put uh, everybody on their roles, like Spock becoming an ambassador. I yeah, mean, yeah. Put him on, and I and somebody reading a lot of the books, like all of this little stuff here. You know, all the things that were the the seeds and the. Tendrils were all going out into all the different books that were coming out after this. And it's yeah. a total callback to the way the original Star Trek was like kind of an allegory on the po- politics of that time. Yeah. I mean, this is very much an allegory yep. on the Cold War and Glass. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Big Mikhail time. Gorbachev and you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union's economy and stuff. Yeah. So this one had a box office of $96.9 million, so it was definitely better than Star Trek V significantly. Yeah. And the budget was actually a little bit less. It was $27 million. Um, but they did a really good job, and I don't know if you guys noticed. Again, I watch all the technical bits about it, but the bridge looked really good because they had like these next generation yeah. crew, like the Akutas, in mm-hmm. there, like making everything look great, and it really did. This is the best out of all the six as far as the way the I bridge know. looks and functions, and the, even the whole look of the ship was really tight. The ship was back together again. It was yeah, back together. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually functioning well. Yeah. So I'll right. play a little clip here. Uh, thing- yeah, go ahead. Oh. No, go ahead. Say, say. The, the thing I remember, because I had, I mean, I had just graduated high school a few months earlier. I remember I was out on my own, out of my parents' house for the first time. And, you know, my D&D gaming group, we all were going to this. This was the first time I ever went to a midnight showing of a, of a film being released. Oh, those gang members, I, you know, it, too. Those <laughs> people coming in there. Yeah, it, it it wasn't it wasn't a common thing back then for the midnight showings and all that. And oh. We went we went to it. I remember you know it, it it was great. I just remember sitting through it, you know, and I remember I just was in that seat. And when those signatures started to scroll across mm. the screen at the Did end, I, I had tears streaming. I was crying. I just oh. <laughs> And and the movie was perfect. I mean, everything, the whole Shakespeare and the original Klingon, just all the, you know, him quoting Shakespeare as, you know, he's firing and he thinks he has the upper hand at the end. Of, I just, the whole thing. 
um, the, the 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 changeling that was in the prison with them. Demon. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. I mean, there there is not a single thing about this film I could complain about. I love from beginning well, to end. And arguably, like one of Shatner's best performances since, like you know, Spock Absolute. dies in two, yeah. because I mean, he has to like swallow his. His whole, I mean, his entire character has has been fighting against the Klingons this entire, you know, for decades. His own son was killed by them. He's been, you know, nothing but at war with them. And for him to, like, put things aside and also be, like, the prime murder suspect. And, I mean, it, yep. it, it just, the, the script made so much sense, you know. And yeah. uh, it was just really, really well executed. It's, it's my second favorite of, of, of these six movies. Oh, uh, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's play a little clip here, and this clip happens to actually be the theatrical trailer because it actually captures almost every single cool moment in the movie. So instead of me trying to reinvent oh. the wheel, I grab the trailer. Does it have a cameo yeah. of uh, of uh, American Sweetheart Christian Slater? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> all right, it doesn't have that little cameo. I'm sorry. That's it. The it's Enterprise interesting is that, that that the that the disappointing films were the odd numbered films, and the even numbered were the good ones. Two six. That was the old theory, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the theory. But yeah, I, but I three right. doesn't count though because the three wasn't bad. But three was—I mean, we've agreed no, it was like a smaller really. story. I mean, was, at the yeah. time though, I remember thinking less of it. But you know, as upon further viewings over the years, yeah, it's definitely not. But yeah. one in five. Whew. So here's the trailer, guys. The Klingon Empire has fifty years of life left to it. To offer Klingons a safe haven within Federation space is suicide. They're animals. Jim, they are dying. You, Captain Kirk, are to be our first olive branch. Me? The galaxy stands at a crossroads. This is the Starship Enterprise. We've been ordered to escort you to your meeting on Earth. Guess who's coming to dinner? I have so wanted to meet you, Captain. One... Warrior to another? Right. On the verge of peace. The undiscovered country. The future. On the brink of war. We come in peace, and you blatantly defile that we haven't fired. According to our databanks, we have. I shall blow you out of the stars. Now, the crew of the Starship Enterprise will not be the instigators of full-scale war on the eve of universal peace. They're coming about. Battle stations. Fights not to win battles. Incoming. Signal our surrender. Captain? We surrender. But to end them forever. We would consider an attempt to rescue them an act of war. There will never be a better time. This is Captain Sulu, USS Excelsior. We stand ready to assist you. This is fun. You do prefer it this way, as it was meant to be. Warrior to warrior. You cannot take much more of this. Cry havoc! And let's slip the dogs of war. Fire! Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. That pretty much sums it up. I mean, yeah, yeah. A lot of action in this movie. I love that scene, uh, actually, 
at the end where uh, the, the Sulu, um, the Excelsior, and the Enterprise are fighting the, the Bird of Prey together. That was really mm-hmm. great. And uh, I also really admire the direction by Nicholas Meyer. I thought it really was just on par with Star Trek Two, and just really freshened up everything again. Much needed. And the music was good. Cliff Eidelman, who was new to the franchise, really just he nailed it. Really great soundtrack to this uh, this movie as well. This was yeah. one of the funny enough. This is one of the first movies that my wife and I went to see uh, way back when we first started dating. We weren't dating very long, and it, it's funny because she is not a sci-fi. Like I couldn't drag her to a Star Trek movie <laughs> after this or uh, or or since. But uh, but she knew, you know, again, early days, all that kind of stuff. She knew I wanted to see it, so uh, it was actually her birthday when we went and saw it, which was kind of wow. fun. Hmm. Yeah. This was the first movie I actually saw, a Star Trek movie, saw in the big screen because I was at this point ten years old. So I was big into, <laughs> wow, I was big, big into the next generation. Uh, yeah, I know, and and I was now appreciating everything Star Trek. So I was, I, I got taken to this one, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was great. This is Kim Cattrall at the height of Kim Cattrall. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Hubba hubba. Kim Cattrallist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was good. It was really Sulu good. And I think it was the first was time we saw the Pepto Bismol blood that flows through Klingon veins. And we yeah. never saw that again. Like never that was just a one a one time thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that was done just to keep it from being an R rating. Well, there was a deleted Maybe. scene though at the end, if you remember when one of the um the assassins was unmasked and he was a human, his blood was red. And it was like I think it was maybe to serve that scene that was in the end that actually got cut. To show that okay, Klingon butt is pink, and this was red, and it just—it didn't. I don't know. Maybe it, it was weird, but maybe it was for the rating too. It could have been. You're right. Because you can't have that much blood. I don't. I don't think they would allow that much blood to be. What was it? PG thirteen? What was it? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. yeah, it had to have been. No, it was PG. Was it PG? So oh, I'm looking at IMDb. Guys, oh, arm probably... got blown off and stuff. That's pretty rough. Oh, yeah, for PG. So I think that was the fight to keep it from being more than PG. If it had too much blood in it, you could, it, it would have to be like a rated R. They didn't have PG-13. They had PG-13 by then. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah they're PG-13 then they did. Back yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think they wanted the PG-13 rating. Maybe. Yeah, it's funny. Now it that that's nothing. But yeah, back then, it, PG still meant something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm looking at the trivia stuff on here. Christian Slater framed his $750 paycheck for his walk-on part. He didn't even cash it, huh? It's just framed. Yeah, he only got that <laughs> role because uh, I think his mother was a uh, casting agent, one of the casting yeah. agents. Yeah, yeah. That's why he got that two-second cameo. He, he played the whatever the the person that woke up Sulu, right? The, Ensign, the, guy that, yeah, he the one that Ensign, bothered yeah. Sulu because he was mad when he was <laughs> like, <laughs> like, "What do you want, boy?" <laughs> I thought it was a good ending to the franchise, though. I really did. I mean, again, it's like you said, the signatures at the end, and mm-hmm. the Enterprise does go into the sunset. You do see that yeah. at the very end, the last shot of the, of the ship, and um, it was definitely a changing of an era. I it mean, was it, bittersweet, though. Yeah, I, I wanted, I never wanted it to end. Yeah, but you can see them getting older at this point, though. Oh, too. I, I mean, right? Sure. You know, you you feel that way when you when you're seeing it, but you don't think you know you don't think about you know they're. they're they're really getting up in age, and they can't do all that. Yeah, running and jumping. They'll have yeah. to do they, the whole thing. Would just be them all sitting down in the in the bridge and talking on the. Yeah, you know what? You know what else is? I, I always look back at this as being significant. Although most people are, you wouldn't even pay attention. But when Praxis explodes, mm-hmm. um, so ILM was back on the effects for this one. I don't thank think God because five was terrible. Five, yeah, no, they were terrible effects in five. Well, yeah. that and becomes the Praxis effect that they use. Yeah, 
So when the when Praxis explodes, it has the the wave, the ring. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when when Lucas went and redid the effects for Star Wars and they blew up yep. the Death Star, he added that effect uh to to that. So it's almost like every every large body explosion uh that came after that ILM dealt with always had that that ring, but this is the first time I ever remember seeing it. That's pretty cool. Little piece yeah. of trivia. Huh. I mean, it was yeah. I, well, I mean, we were all amazed by it, but one person didn't like it, and that was Gene Roddenberry. He talked. He spoke out for mm-hmm. the forty-eight hours following when he saw it before he died. So, because he it died had, two days after he saw it, so this film it, it killed, killed him. Gene Roddenberry. It had all the things he didn't want. Like he didn't. He didn't want to have any. You know, any problem I, with the Federation being. You well, know, that. Yeah, but he also just felt the Klingon for being used as a cheap, generic villain. And I'm like, what? What? They were allegory for the evil empire. I mean, it was coming to an end. It was pretty cool. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think Gene Roddenberry's major problem, he wanted the universe to be everyone was utopia. They were human. There was no conflict. There was no evil. Everyone was fed. Everyone was no crime. He was really conflicted himself, I mean, because he would go back and forth on things himself about what... You know, like what he wanted, like who the villains were going to be, what was the motivations of the characters. So, like, yeah. like he he was very at this time. I mean, and even when you a lot of interviews and and stuff about him, he was really unhappy. Period. Personally, he was very unhappy around. Yeah, I mean, you watch years chaos on the bridge. I think there was yeah, some was yeah, substance abuse going on, and oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know things like that that kind of played into. Interesting his- enough. I just read here. So the casting director was Mary Jo Slater. Okay, there you go. Yeah, was mother of Christian Slater. So that's yeah. how he got in. Yep. But he was also he was kind of big at that point anyway, wasn't no. he? Oh sure. Yeah. Well, had no, he no, already not that big? Not had he already not done big, like big, but... uh, turn it up or turn it whatever oh, it was the the one the where he was the one where he was the rogue ham radio DJ or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that was late eighties. Yeah, his yeah. his yeah, his was. I remember that was like the big thing, and then not too long after this, a couple years, his interview with the vampire, and then he kind of faded away for a while. He yeah. didn't get big till after this. Like the, it, yeah. you know, it was after this when he got cast for this when they were shooting it. He wasn't really a name yet. Yeah, so I guess it's right around his peak, right around yeah. his, or he's but peaking. Of, I'm ready for season two of Mr. Robot. Yeah, oh, he's great in that. Oh, he is. He's oh, finally, oh, man. finally in a show. good show, Donnie. I yeah, Donnie it. Salvo. I said it. That's the only reason I mentioned Christian Slater to begin with. Because I know yeah. Donnie Salvo will be listening to this. So, anything else? Any anything else to talk about Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country? You guys, any more thoughts? The end of an era. Uh, On to the next generation, I guess. It, yeah, I just I think it was felt. a it was a fitting end. I I yeah. liked, you know, because we kind of saw the setup in the next generation where the, the you know the Federation and the Klingons were kind of soft with each other. You know, there wasn't this. Uh, there was detente at the very least. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was, it so was there was an the, alliance, but not really. You know, there wasn't they weren't part of the Federation, but they were allies with the Federation right, at that right. point. Yes. And so this was kind of cool that it it bridged that gap. It kind of said, okay, this is this it. is. Yeah, this is like, how. Yeah, we, yeah Worf was played his own ancestor in the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the, yeah. But uh, the, the Kittimer Accords, I guess, this is where it all started yeah, right here. Yeah. yeah. And actually, was, that's where Worf's parents were killed, right? At Camp Kittimer, at that at that place, yeah, they apparently. Were yeah. Romulans. The damn Romulans. Um, yeah, just the whole political intrigue too was you know the the fact that there's double agents and you know and 
things like that going on that, you know, the, the Kim Cattrall's reveal in the movie, I think was, it was pretty well done. Cause I did that. that. Was yeah. rough. I, I loved it. Uh, that. That was almost, I mean, that was the first time you, you saw Spock like force, like an aggressive mind like, meld. Like yeah. Kind of, yeah. Force yeah. A mind meld yeah. on someone. I mean, that was really, uh, and the pain and the, like the anger in his, you know, from that he was angry. He was agitated. You're right. You saw that. And yeah. He's not supposed to be angry, but he was. He, he was. was he, he was more disappointed in her. I think yeah. that's what it was. Wasn't she supposed to be Savick originally? Yeah, they were going to do Savick. Bring her back and then have her betray Spock or something. And then, yeah, it just okay, didn't happen. Didn't make it, huh? All right, good. Well, listen, guys. Thanks for joining uh, us tonight for a look back from Star Trek One or the motion picture through six, and it's been a great ride. We're going to do these series of podcasts leading up to the fiftieth anniversary of Star Trek and the new release of the Star Trek movie Star Trek Beyond this summer. So, uh, before we close it out, if you want to tell our listeners where they can hear you on other podcasts out there, so if they like what they heard, or if they don't like what they heard, I guess they don't have to listen to you. But if they did <laughs> like what they heard, they can tune in. So, uh, Russell, starting with you. Same place you can hear this, um, you know. Just just tune into HHWLOD uh, for uh, it's all connected. The Marvel podcast I do, and then when when I'm not having work crises and other things going on, I'm on the Walking Dead TV podcast. And uh, with Mr. Taylor over here at the Taylor Network of Podcasts, I'm on Gotham by Geeks. That's a newer podcast that D- Daryl started up and uh, graciously asked me to join in with, and it's been a ton Love of fun. It too, great. Excellent. Richard? Um, I'm also on HHWLOD. I'm on the DC TV podcast is where you hear me every week um, with Jim and Daryl and the lovely Jerry Atkinson from time to time. Um, I'm on the Walking Dead TV podcast when I can make it. I'm seeming to make it more often now. Yes, we like that. Um, And we're on to Fear the Walking Dead right now, so that's... uh, it's very interesting. So, and you can catch me on Twitter at chubtoad zero one. Excellent, Mr. Dietz. Uh, everything these guys already mentioned that they said I was a part of. Plus, nothing's on. I have to tell a network of podcasts with Donnie Salvo and Daryl when we talk about TV and movies. Okay, and lastly, Mr. Daryl Taylor. Ah, uh, the way you mentioned all the other ones. Uh, you can go <laughs> to taylornetworkofpodcast dot com and you can find me on. And a lot of the shows that are on the network on that website. Okay, very cool. Well, you guys are definitely doing a lot of work every week and putting out a lot of great podcasts and great programming. If you guys want to hear me, I am the host of the Auto Chat Show, uh, where we do new car reviews and talk about everything fun, culture, uh, cars and pop culture. We just do car-related news. It's definitely a a fun podcast, not just stats and figures. We definitely like to have a good time, me and my co-host, Teddy. So check us out at facebook.com forward slash autochatshow, autochatshow.com. I'm also the host on the HHWLOD Walking Dead TV podcast. I've been glad to do that. We are now in Fear of the Walking Dead, as Richard said, so we're covering that. In fact, it's airing tonight. We'll be reviewing it probably sometime early next week. So we've got that coming up, and uh, we do every episode of The Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, check us out there. All right, folks, that's going to bring an end to our number two in a series of Star Trek podcasts. The next one we'll be talking about is Star Trek The Next Generation. So the entire series will be going through retrospectives, some of our favorite episodes, our favorite moments in the show. Should be a lot of fun. Leading up right up until the Next Generation movies, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the new movies as well. 
So, folks, once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, live long and prosper.